Hi, this is Sean Benson from Harvest Church in Warrensburg, Missouri. I want to thank you for joining us for this week's podcast. For more resources, log on to harvestwarrensburg.com. Are you guys ready for story time? <laughs> All right. So um, yesterday, actually, it's, it's fun how God gives us stories, right? Like, so yesterday, Josiah had a couple of friends over there, um, a, a, a brother and a sister, and they're just a little bit younger than him. And they were, they were hanging out and playing out in the yard because it was so pretty outside. And um, at some point through, they'd been playing really good for a long time, and I had actually just had the thought, wow, they're doing really great. And, um, and at some point, right, like, seconds after I had that thought, um, there was, like, not just wailing, but, like, I'm in serious pain wailing. And Sean happened to be outside, and so I, I get out there myself, and I happened, I see Sean, like, he's got the, the, the daughter, the girl, and he has her head in his hand, and there's blood just dripping off of her face and off of her hand. And um, what had happened was, at some point, brother got angry with sister and took the stick he was holding and threw it at her face, and it landed in her on her forehead, and it hit her. And you know how head wounds bleed, and so it was like running down her face, and she just was standing there screaming because her, her face is just like she's covered in blood. And it ended up being that, that his pressure on her head for the few seconds that it needed was all she needed to stop. So she was fine. She didn't need stitches. She didn't need anything like that. So, so mom comes, and, um, and, and she's, she's chatting away with us. Like we're, we're talking about daughter, making sure that she's she's good, you know, and I had taken her into the house and had, was getting the blood off of her so that she would p- stop panicking because that was what was causing a lot of the drama. And so a little bit later, Josiah was like, mom, is she okay? And so I wrote to mom and I said, hey, is, is she doing okay? And, uh, and so we started this dialogue and I loved one of the things that she said. She said, she was like, oh yeah, she had a a dog bite last year that was a lot worse than this. She was like, she's fine. She's eating a snack. But then she said, but it was so hard to see him so upset at himself. She was like, my heart just was aching for both of them. And I, like, as I was praying about, like, how to kind of launch out my message for today, it was that picture came back and those words came back because that is like the father's heart. You know, it's, it's the daughter who is hurt and his heart is grieved over and concerned over her and he's compassionate for her and he's helping fix her but also recognizing that the child who did the wrong is equally grieved over my heart is equally broken as a parent over the child who did the wrong you know and their own like the way that this child was responding to himself to watch him move into a place where he was so angry at himself and he was so upset. He had sat there and watched his sister. I mean, she had blood pouring, right? So he's sitting there watching this, realizing I've done this and now I have to go talk to my mom and dad about it, right? Like, so, <laughs> right? So consequences were coming, and, but it wasn't the consequences that triggered his pain. It was, it was watching his sister get so hurt and it shocked him and it scared him. You know, but the mom's response of, of a heart that was broken over both of her kids. And she wasn't angry at her son. She was broken over her son. 
She was broken over his choice to sin. And I love that that was like, that's been infused into us as people. That God's heart for us has been infused into us. And so as parents, we can have this experience. We understand this, this place of duality of like being very upset for our child, or the one who's been, has been hurt, and then also equally deeply in pain over the one who hurt the other child. We can equally grieve. You know, I, this is totally just random, but, you know, I think it was, you're going to find out. I love Chiefs, but we don't, I don't keep up with all this stuff. So I think, wasn't it last year that the Kelsey brothers played each other? I had seen a little clip recently, like this last week, and, they, and you, you saw his mom, their mom, come out, and she runs over to, um, to Travis Kelsey, and she's like so incredibly excited, and she's like just, like just joy all over her, and then she goes over to Jason's side, and she sees him, and she's broken for him, and she gives him a great big hug, and, and he gave her a hug back and was like, go celebrate with Travis, and so she, he sends her back off, but, but it was this place of her being completely enthralled with the son who won, you know, she's so incredibly happy for him. She is ecstatic, right? And then over here, she's equally grieved for her son who lost, right? As a parent, we have the ability to, to pull back and forth, right? Like to, to understand both sides of things and to feel, to literally feel the pain of both sides, of both the, the one who's doing amazing and the one who is broken and sad, Right? And we can feel it. I, I feel like this is such a great, like that's, the, that's the, the piece that I want you to grab that we're going to talk about today. On, on Monday, I actually had another message. I was going to kind of wrap up Sean's message and kind of point back his last few, ser- like his last few sermons back towards our pathway, which is to gather, grow, and go, and how they all connected together. Like, but I'm not going to do that. So if you think about it, just take a time and think about the last three messages and how it actually we're walking with that as a church, okay? So that aside, that was what I was going to speak on. And then on Monday night, we were praying, and Ori had made a, she was praying to the Lord, and she, she said something, and in, in my spirit, God said to me, he was like, it was the gift of repentance. He said, repentance is a gift. And I saw him like hold out his hand, like with a little gift inside of it. And, and he's like holding it out. And all of a sudden, I just had these pictures pop into my head, and it was like rewriting some of the way that I viewed repentance. And I love repentance. I've loved repentance for years. And I've taught on repentance. And I have like, it's in, it's in the Freedom Group book that I have, that I've written out. But it was this, this picture that I feel like I want to, I want to hopefully break any religion off of you tonight with the word repentance, okay? So we all know that we sin, right? Like all of us don't do right all the time, okay? And um, if you do think that you do, then that's a humility issue and we should talk, okay? So, so we all do things, we have mindsets even that are not according to God's mindset. So even that is something that we have to change, right? And so the habits, the way that we think, the way that we talk, the way that we respond to people, you know, but a lot of times, a lot of our sin, it will, it all is, it's all based out of our mindsets. It's based out of what we think and what we feel emotionally, right? And so we sin out of the internal. It's not an external issue. It's an internal issue. And so putting sin out there, right? So we all sin, and that means that we all need repentance, right? So some of us, when you hear that word, you're immediately kind of like, oh, 
We're going to talk about this today. That's fun. Um, but the basic, the basic definition, um, don't pull this up on the, scripture, on the, on the slide yet. This, it's simple. It's to change the way that you think. Okay? So when you think of the word repentance, I want you guys just to think. It's to change the way that I think. Or it's to turn around. So it's literally like, I'm walking this direction, and I'm going to turn around, and I'm going to walk this direction. Okay? Repentance is simple. That's the simple definition of it. I started kind of just researching in it, and um, I love going to Webster's Dictionary. So Webster, from what I understand, um, he actually wrote the dictionary to, to be able to translate from the Bible. Like, he wanted to be able to give people definitions of what some of the words in the Bible meant. And so the first word, the, the first definition of repentance, I w- I'm going to read the three different definitions that Webster gives because it's really, it's really great. We're going to talk about these because we all have seen them in different aspects. The first one is this. Um, it is sorrow for anything done or said. It's the pain or the grief which a person experiences in consequence of the injury or inconvenience produced by his own conduct. Okay, so it's a feeling. It's the pain, the grief. I would say the shame that comes, you know, in consequence of our own actions. Okay? So we've all felt this place of sorrow. We've all done something wrong and recognized that we hurt somebody and have walked in grief, right? We've, we've, we've been sorrowful for it. What I, what I think is a really great descriptive of this, what I want to put kind of a nutshell of this particular definition is this. This is where the I'm sorry comes from. This is where we come up to somebody and we're like, Hey, I'm sorry, Joe, that I threw a stick at your face and caused you to bleed. I feel really bad about that. And now I'm needing you to forgive me so that you would make my pain go away. Okay? That's the first definition that he talks about. We all feel like that. Tell your brother that you're sorry. You shouldn't hit him. Right? Like, I need you to recognize this. Or if we actually have real remorse, we are going, I need you to understand the depth of how I feel And what I'm really hoping for is that you will actually tell me that you forgive me and that some of my guilt, my guilty feelings will go away. Right? Do we all, have we all experienced that that phenomenon before? Okay. Now we're going to move on to number two. Here's the second definition. In theology, it's the pain, regret, or affliction which a person feels on account of his past conduct because it exposes him to punishment. This sorrow producing merely from the fear of punishment is called legal repentance as being excited by the terrors of legal penalties. Can you tell it's been written in 1828? And it may exist without an amendment of life. So it's the pain, regret. So it's the same as the first, the first definition. It's the feelings I feel, the sorrow, the pain, the regret, the guilt, the shame that I feel because of the way I've acted because it exposes me to punishment. Okay, so I'm afraid of being punished, and therefore I feel guilty, right? This is where lots of us have seen these. Have you guys seen these repent, turn to Jesus, or burn? Like, like <laughs> that's that definition, right? So we, like Sean and I were walking down in the plaza in Kansas City like a couple years ago, and there were these guys with these types of signs saying up there, like, repent or burn, you know? This is the, this is the fire and brimstone, you know, 
like type of, of teaching that flooded the churches, I would say, forgive me for being maybe a little bit offensive, that this is often what the Catholic church has done, is it, it has leaned heavy into you know, the first and the second definition. The first definition being, you can do 10 Hail Marys and you'll be forgiven for your sins, right? You know, and the second one is, you're, you're going to go to hell if you continue to sin. You need to repent, get right, or fear the wrath of God. So, so let's talk for just a minute about the truths of this. Is there, is, is there something that's true about the wrath of God? Yes, right? Yes, so you can read that in the New Testament. It talks about the judgments of God and what happens and that kind of stuff. But what happens when we fear punishment? Do we, we retreat? That's why I heard somebody say, we retreat, right? So if, when I was little, my, my dad is, he's amazing. And one of the things he did to help us grow up into the ways of God was punishments via spankings, right? I didn't like my dad's spankings very much, okay? And so when I, when I knew that I, like, and some of the things he would even say, the teaching of it, like, don't do this because I don't want to have to hurt, like, I don't want you to have to be in pain. And one of the things he had said was, he said, but if the physical pain will remind you not to, not to do this, then I'm willing to, to execute the physical pain here, right? And, and there's truths. I'm not at all talking bad about spanking. Like I have spanked my children. You're welcome. Um, you know, but I, think, but I think that one of the things that the church missed was that it was all in relation to the physical things that I did wrong. Punishment is coming because I've done something wrong, but it's a physical infliction. How many of us have actually like, been afraid, like we've, we've kind of gone, like all of my world is spinning out of control. God's probably punishing me because of a sin that I don't even know that I've done. Like, I remember having felt like that a few times of going, have I sinned? Like, what is happening? Like, is God punishing me? Let me just tell you, like life spins out of control sometimes and it's not because we've done something wrong, right? And it's not because of the punishment of God, Right? Like, God's not inflicting punishment on you. And he's like, hey, I'm going to give you a spanking. You don't even know what you've done wrong yet, but hopefully you'll get it. Right? That's, that's not God. That's not the way God operates with us. You know, he's not someone who's coming to bring fear. And I, I want to tell you that if, like, what happens is we become afraid to go into, to go into his presence when we fear punishment right? We begin to retreat from the presence of God when we feel shame and we feel like we're just going to get punished if we walk in there, right? And so for those of us who've been raised maybe a little bit more like that, or we had parents who were quick to punish and quick to be harsh, you know, maybe you never saw your parent actually feel grief for the person who did something wrong as equally as the person who was hurt, you know, but let me tell you, like, that's the way God sees us. And so I want to break that off. If you feel like God is a punisher and you're afraid to go to him with your stuff, here's the thing. When we want to repent, it's really hard to change the way that we think if we're afraid of the person that helps us change. Right? 
When I was little, I had a teacher. I had several teachers, actually. I was extremely shy, very insecure. And to go up to the teacher in front of the whole class and to ask her a question made me feel like an idiot. And I had a teacher who I would talk really quietly when I would get nervous. And I had a teacher who always was like, what, Misty? I can't hear you. And I was always like, no, everybody knows I'm stupid, right? And, and, and so literally, I would like not go up there because I was afraid. So I wouldn't get help because I was afraid of the response that she was going to have for me. And then when she would speak, she was always grumpy and gruff. And so I was always like, okay, I understand. I'd go back and I'd sit there and feel like an idiot, right? And, and then get help from my friends because they were kinder. You know, that's the kind of response we have when we think that God is just waiting to spank us is we begin to be afraid to walk up to him and be like, I have this problem. Yeah, you're probably going to punish me for it. Like, that's not, that's not the kindness of God. That's not the beauty of who God is. And, and I want to kind of walk us through some of the scriptures um, about that. But first, I want to read um, the, third, the third definition. Here's the third definition out of Webster's. It's real penitent. Penitence. It's the action of feeling or showing sorrow and regret for having done wrong. So it's sorrow or deep contrition for sin. So it's still that same feeling as an offense and dishonor to God, a violation of his holy law, and the basest ingratitude toward a being of infinite benevolence. Okay, now I'm going to stop here. Don't cheat by keep reading. So let's describe what it means by benevolence. That's a word that we don't use every single day. And it just means goodwill, kindness, his charitableness. It's um, love of mankind accompanying with the desire to promote their happiness. And then the definition says the benevolence of God is one of his moral attributes. The attribute that delights in the happiness of intelligent beings. <laughs> okay, so, so God is infinitely good. He's infinitely kind, right? And so we... Repentance here is deep grief because we recognize that we have dishonored and offended God. It's a whole different perspective than being afraid of his punishment and his wrath. It's this understanding that a really kind and good person, I have just spit in his face by my action, right? And I desire something here. Now look at this. This is called evangelical repentance, which is funny. That just means the gospel. Like it's from the gospels, right? That's evangelical is the gospel, right? So it doesn't mean anything weird. This is called evangelical repentance and it's accompanied and followed by amendment of life. Repentance is the relinquishment of any practice from the conviction that it has offended God. So did you notice that in the first two definitions that you didn't have to change? So the first definition is just talking about your feelings. I feel bad. I feel bad. I want you to make that pain go away. The second one was, I feel bad and now I'm terrified of punishment, but I don't actually have to do anything about it. I just have to come and repent and then fall, and then repent, and then fall, and then repent, and then fall, and then repent, and then fall. Over and over and over again, I do the same thing every single day, all my life, and I just constantly have to do this back and forth, right? But the third definition talks about the way that we feel toward God, and that we understand who he is to us, and it changes something in our heart, and we become willing to amend our life, to change our life, right? And we begin to walk in something different. 
So I'm going to read from 2 Corinthians. Before you flip to that slide, though, I want you to keep it on repentance for just another minute. I'm going to set the stage a little bit for the, for the comment that's made in 2 Corinthians. In 1 Corinthians, Paul had to write to the Corinthian church because they were involved in some things. They, we believe it was a leadership issue. It doesn't specifically say that, but there's some, some reasons why we think that that's true. But there was um, some sin happening in the church that the church was not dealing with. And so Paul had to write them a pretty strong and, and intense rebuke. He, and he rebuked them out of deep love. You can see it throughout the entire scripture. He's like, I've come to you as a father. I love you so much. You know, like you need to change. Like this has to be changed in you. Like you guys are living in sin and you're allowing sin to happen here and it cannot continue. Okay, and then in 2 Corinthians, this is, the, this is him writing back to them after some time where they have cleaned up the mess and he is responding to that, okay? So that's what he's referencing here in 2 Corinthians chapter 7, verse 9. Oh, by the way, I am using the New Living Translation almost exclusively today because it happened to be the Bible I was reading when I was going through the repentance stuff. And it was so good that I just kept it. So, instead of our normal New American Standard. So it says, now I am glad, this is Paul writing to them, now I'm glad I sent it, the letter, that's what he's talking about, not because it hurt you, but because the pain caused you to repent and to change your ways. It was the kind of sorrow that God wants his people to have, so you were not harmed by us in any way. For the kind of sorrow God wants us to experience leads us away from sin and results in salvation. There's no regret for that kind of sorrow, but the worldly sorrow which lacks repentance results in, in spiritual death. Now listen to the next verse. He said, just see what this godly sorrow produced in you. Now look back and look at what's happened since then. Such earnestness, such concern to clear yourselves, such indignation and alarm, such longing to see me, such zeal, and such a readiness to punish wrong. You showed that you have done everything necessary to make things right. Do you see how their response, they aren't even scared to see Paul. They're actually excited to see him. So when he sent the first letter to them, they clearly didn't feel like he, was, he despised them, that he was coming to punish them, that he was going to be, like that they weren't afraid of Paul and they weren't afraid of God. Instead, what it did was it brought correction. And in that correction, they go, they, they came to themselves and they turned and they were like, you're right. The way that we've been allowing this to happen could not continue. And so I'm turning around and I'm going to make amends and make it right. So they went to work to fix the things that they were allowing and to solve the problems, right? And, and they weren't afraid. They were actually incredibly excited to see Paul when he came because of it. So this is what repentance looks like, right? It looks like me beginning to go, oh, I've got something that it needs to change here. What does God say about it? How does he want me to think about this situation? How does he want me to think about this, this struggle I'm having? And then I turn the different direction than what I was walking. And I begin to walk the other way and I begin to allow him to change me. Here's the thing though. Repentance often, I'm going to give you guys just a little place that's called grace. Usually when we repent of something and we begin to work on changing things, it looks a little bit like this right? We do really good for a couple days and then we fall. And then we go, oh, I just did it again. And we, we pull ourselves together and we keep walking. And every once in a while we were like, well, I think maybe I want to respond. No, 
no, I'm, I'm going this direction. Like maybe, and we, and we walk like this. Repentance is a lifestyle where we learn how to begin to grow and to walk with the Lord. You're changing the way that we think, and it doesn't just happen like this. It's a process of time, and we have to have grace for ourselves as we learn it, right? And we need to have grace to the people around us as we learn it. We were talking about, about um, the second definition, you know, and, and Sean and I, I, I was just sharing with him some thoughts that I'd had, and... Um, We were talking about the prodigal son. So in, what is it? It's in Luke. I'm not going to, we're not going to read it, but in Luke 15, there's a story about the prodigal son. And the, the beginning part of that, the reason why Jesus begins to tell that story is because Jesus was sitting and he was um, having a meal with people who were not of the highest of class, to say it like that. They had some sin issues. There were some prostitutes there and some people who were doing things that they shouldn't be. There were sinners and Jesus was sitting around them. And the Pharisees came up and they were like, you're acting like you're holy, but you're sitting with a whole bunch of people who are less than holy, you know? And Jesus begins to talk to them, and he shares a couple of parables. And the third parable is the parable of the prodigal son. And I just want you guys, like, so if you've heard of it, the story just kind of to encapsulate it, there was a rich father who, um, whose son, one, he had two sons, the youngest one asked for his inheritance early. He takes the inheritance, which we all know is supposed to be laid up for when your parent dies, not to be taken early, right? So he goes to his dad and he says, give me my share now. And he leaves with all of the money he has to a foreign land and he goes and squanders everything he has. He gets to the point where he's completely out of every resource. All of his friends have abandoned him and he is begging food from the pigs that he's supposed to be feeding. And he comes to himself and he's like, I should go home and become a servant in my parents' house. I'm not, like, I'm no longer, you know, allowed to be the son because I've lost that right with my sin, but I can at least become a servant. They eat better than what I'm eating now. And so he goes back. And the punishment that the father gave him was severe, wasn't it? <laughs> Do you guys remember the story? Like, the dad was watching down the road for how long? For as long as his son had been gone. And when his son was coming back, he hadn't even had time to repent yet. Do you see that? Like, that story, if you read through it, the, the son never says, I'm sorry for having squandered everything you've given me. He didn't even have the ability to get to that yet because the, the dad runs out and he grabs his son. He just pulls him into his arm and he's like, you're home. I'm so glad you're home. Come on, come into the house. And he puts his own robe of, like this. He's filthy. He's been, like, have you guys ever smelled pigs? Yeah, there was, when I was growing up, there was a pig farm that was trying to come into the community that we live in. Like, we lived in a, we lived in a country road, like what I do now. And there was a pig farm, and it was such a serious thing. They had to, like, get approval from all the neighbors to allow them to have a pig farm come in because they smell so bad that within a certain mile radius, you had to like sign something, and if they got enough votes, then they could bring in the pig farm, right? So they stink really, really bad. And if you've ever been close to Knob Noster, the chicken farms also stink really bad. And I can imagine that the, that the pig farm is worse, okay? And <laughs> I don't know, the chicken farm is pretty rough. So if you've been close to Knob Noster, then you can just imagine what it would smell like if you lived in that, right? And you were eating 
yeah, ugh, it's gross. You know, so, but it was this, this response of going, like, he, he was going, the sun was going this direction, and he came to his senses, and he started going back. He went back to his home, and there was no punishment for him. There was no punishment. Instead, there was a party, right? There wasn't punishment. There was a party. Why? Because heaven rejoices when one sinner repents, right? When one person repents, heaven rejoices. And, and then it, there's a scripture that says more than the 99, like that's talking about like when one goes astray and the 99 stay, it says heaven rejoices even more than, than the 99, than over the 99. This is the reason why, because the 99 still need to have a lifestyle of repentance. They weren't righteous. They need to recognize in humility that they are growing and changing. Like the way that we live, I'm not, it's, we have big sins sometimes, right? Like we have things we have to get fleshed out, but sometimes it's like a lot of our repentance is a daily process because, because it's literally just mindsets that have to be shifted. I was um, telling myself, you know, like the, the messages that you bring have to, have to get worked out in your life, or at least they should be worked out in your life. And the Lord loves to give us opportunities for those things, right? So on, I don't know, this week, as I'm prepping this message, I was innocently scrolling Facebook, and I came across a, um, a, a conversation that was happening between two people that I know. And... <laughs> After I, I was looking at it for a little bit, it was not doing good things to my heart, and um, and I got off, I got off of it, and I, I told Sean like it was kind of just sitting there. I could just feel like this ick, right? That ick is the Holy Spirit saying something is not okay, right? And so that ick was just sitting there, and and I told Sean I was like, I think I just need to ground myself from Facebook again. It's not healthy for me, and um, which I do from time to time. And, um, and Sean, and I explained to him what I had seen and stuff. And Sean goes, that's not a Facebook issue. He was like, you still have something that you need to work out. He was like, that particular person has caused something in you that you need to walk through to figure it out. And I was like, oh. <laughs> you, like, so do you understand that repentance isn't just shutting off Facebook because it makes my heart boil? That's not repentance. That might, be a for, that might be part of repentance. Part of repentance might be the process of me going, Facebook isn't healthy for me and my heart and my emotions, and so I'm going to get off of it, right? But the deeper problem was that I had something that was needing to be addressed between Jesus and I, right? And it took somebody who loved me to point it out, right? And I kind of gave him the stink eye and was like, you know, I don't want to have an issue that I, have to, that I have to work out with Jesus. And I'm like, but you're probably right. And then he goes on to say, and I think it's probably this. And he like <laughs> redefines everything I had just shared with him, but it didn't sound as pretty when he did it because he kind of called it sin. And I was like, I'm going to walk away from you right now. And so I left. And I went downstairs and, and I just told the Lord, I was like, I don't want that in me. That's so gross. I have spent years working this out of me. I have spent years taking this, you know, like this issue that has continued to pop up and I've put it before you. And Jesus, I don't want that. 
right? Would you forgive me for even having those thoughts? And would you show me how to walk out of this in purity and in grace? This is lifestyle. This is sometimes every day. Often it's every day, right? How many of us wake up sometimes on the wrong side of the bed, right? When we do that, we feel honestly, a lot of times, very justified in the way that we respond to people. Less than graceful, right? Oh, you're so annoying. Can't you just be quiet? I haven't even had a whole cup of coffee yet, or two. Just shh. You know, just stop talking. I can't deal with it today. Or can you please pick up your stuff? Can you quit doing this? Can you, right? And we begin to rail at people because we woke up on the wrong side of the bed. Repentance looks like the Holy Spirit saying, hey, this is your issue, your heart, not theirs. And us being willing to go, you're right. You're right. I woke up grumpy. That's mine. I'll own that. And I give you my grumpy because my emotions can't own me. How I feel does not dictate how I act. As, as a child of God, I have the right and the privilege of being able to walk in a different way and to begin to respond differently. And here's why repentance is a gift. It's a gift because it's literally the key to walking into freedom. It's the key to a doorway that says you're struggling to get out of your broken patterns of sinful behavior, whether it's a mindset or it's behavior, or it's all of it, right? And the key to repentance is a place of humility that we put it into the door. And as we turn the door, all of a sudden we are met with a father who's meeting us with his open arms. He's wrapping us up in his arms and he's saying, I love you so much. I'm so glad you chose to put the key in the door and open it. And now I'm going to partner Holy Spirit with you, and he's going to train you up in how to walk righteously before me in this present day, right? He gives us the Holy Spirit to walk with. He partners with us. So this place of repentance is literally a key to transforming my life. Why would I ever not want that? Why would I ever be afraid of it? Listen to a few verses that talk about, like I really want to to push in, to understanding who God is to us. So to set Romans up before you turn to it, don't, don't flip the script to it yet. But Romans 2 is talking about a judgmental, hypocritical people. That's who he's talking to at that moment. He's literally calling them hypocrites. He's like, you're, you're, you're looking at these people, they're doing what's wrong, but you're doing the exact same thing. And he goes on and talks about how God is a God of of judgment and he is going to be paying attention to that stuff. But there's this verse in the middle that we have to understand because it's the key, like I said, it's the key to the entire passage. Okay, it's out of Romans and it's verse four. It's Romans two, verse four. And it says this, don't you see how wonderfully kind, how tolerant and patient God is with you? Does this mean nothing to you? Can't you see that it's his kindness that is intended to turn you from your sin? It's his kindness that leads us to repentance is what the New American Standard says. Can't you understand that it's his kindness? He is incredibly kind, tolerant, and patient with you. Do you know that this might offend some of us here, but the word tolerant really means tolerant. Like our definition today in today's school, it means tolerant. It, it actually has this um, place where it says that a debtor who, like, so if I am 
if I own property and you're leasing from me and you're due to be paid, if I'm due to be paid right now, that tolerance looks like me going up to Sean, so Sean's supposed to be paying me money right now to, to pay for his rent, and me going up to Sean and saying, do you have money? And he's like, I don't have money yet. And my tolerance is me waiting and not demanding him to pay me right now. That's the tolerance of God. He is, he is pushing off judgment because he loves us so much that he just wants us to turn and to repent and to use the key that he's put into our hand, right? It's his kindness. He holds back all of, all of the, the place where he is like, like the end, like the end. We're in the end times because he's so kind and tolerant. He's waiting for us to repent. It's his kindness that's supposed to lead us there. Not fear of judgment, but it's the understanding that he is so good to us, right? That we want to run to him in repentance versus stay back from him because we're scared of him. I love that scripture. And then here's another one um, out of 1 John 4. I don't have to set that one up. This one's just simple. And it says, and as we live in God... Our love grows more perfect, so we will not be afraid on the day of judgment, but we can face him with confidence because we live like Jesus here in this world. Such love has no fear because perfect love expels all fear. If we are afraid, it is for fear of punishment, and this shows that we have not fully experienced his perfect love. So if you grew up in a culture that said, if you sin, you should be deeply afraid of God's punishment— Read this scripture until it becomes part of you. Read it over and over and over again. It's, it's God's beautiful and perfect love, and it casts out our fear of punishment. And we can boldly walk into the day of judgment with confidence because we have lived like Christ because we have so loved him and understood his goodness over us and who he is toward us that we can walk in confidence. Right? Does that make sense? Okay, I'm going to give you another verse. There's a couple more. I told you, like we told you this last week, we're going to overwhelm you with verses because I want you to see the truth of this. This is out of Titus 3. It's the last Titus one for the sound, for the slide people. It's verses four through seven. It says this, but when God, our savior revealed his what? His kindness and his what? Not his wrath and judgment. Is there any fire written in that first verse? No, well, it is fire, <laughs> but it's not, not the kind of wrathful fire that we've, we've come to understand sometimes. He revealed his kindness and his love. He saved us, not because of the righteous things that we had done, but because of his mercy. Because of his what? Mercy. So he's not angry. He's merciful. He washed away our sins, giving us a new birth and the new life through the Holy Spirit. And he generously poured out his spirit upon us through Jesus Christ, our Savior, because of his grace, he made us right in his sight and gave us confidence that we will inherit eternal life. Here's the beautiful thing about repentance. It's a key that when we open the door, God literally pours out everything we could ever need for life and godliness. He doesn't just say, okay, now repent and try to figure out how to live rightly before me. And every time you don't, I'm going to spank you. That's not who he is. 
Instead, he comes alongside. He's like, now let's partner with you. And I'm going to actually not just walk alongside you. I'm going to come and live inside you and become your teacher and show you the love of God and show you how to walk righteously before me every single day. And I'm going to not only save you because of my mercy, I'm going to wash away all of your sins. And then I'm going to generously pour out my Holy Spirit on you. Right? And then give us confidence that we're going to inherit eternal life. Does that sound like an angry God? Right? He's not angry. And this is, I keep saying that he walks with us. Titus 2.12 says, This same grace teaches, which means it trains and instructs us how to live each day as we turn our backs on ungodliness and indulgent lifestyles. And it equips us to live self-controlled, upright godly lives in this present age. It's the grace of God that comes in and the Holy Spirit comes in and he dwells in us and, the, and Jesus called him our helper, our teacher, right? And he lives inside of us and the entire time we're walking through life and we come up to a place where we don't know what to do. He's there talking to us, but he's not talking to us like, are you going to make the right decision? This is test day. If you fail, you burn. Good luck right? That's, that's not what he does. Instead, the Holy Spirit comes in and he's like, I'm going to train you and equip you and to walk with you through life. And I'm going to teach you how to live righteously today, every single day in this moment, in this second, I'm going to show you how to not sin, how to walk in righteousness. To, to drive this point home just one more time, how many of us have ever seen a toddler have you ever seen a toddler? Yep. Nobody's ever seen a toddler. There's a few, at least a few people have seen toddlers. Okay. We can go downstairs if we need to, but do you know that the word toddle is, is actually like the process of walking, but they so don't walk right that you had to make a new name for it, right? Like, do we know parents who, when their toddler learns, like they get up and they start to walk and they don't do it perfectly, is any parent yelling at their kid, walk normal. You are one years old. You should know how to walk. You know, like, like Eden was running full speed at nine months old, at the end of nine months. It was, yeah, it was insane. But there was that season where she was learning how to walk, right? And you would get like, she would get like three steps and then she'd fall over. And then she'd get back up and she'd walk and it lasted for a week, that little toddler phase for her lasted like a week. And then she was full speed. But even then, like, are they coordinated? You ever seen that? They have big heads, right? And they do. They have big heads and their bodies are small. And so they literally are led like this often, right? And they hit their head on everything because they're not seeing it. And they, they don't do things right. And parents aren't mad about it. The kids don't get spanked for that. They don't get spanked because they got up and they walked five steps and they didn't walk seven. Right? Like, this is our life. This is what repentance looks like. It's, it's the daily getting up and learning how to walk in a straight line. And then we fall. We toddle over. Right? What happens is often, in India, it was funny, when Elijah was little, they would... Um, 
they were always paranoid by our parenting. Like our parenting just totally like triggered them. And they would like, I would send him off and he would toddle all over the place and he'd fall over and get back up and, and they just couldn't handle. And so they would run behind him with guards like this. And then he would get close to the edge and I'm just watching him going, careful, you know, like, and he's looking at the edge and they're like, no. And they're grabbing him and pulling him away from the edge. And they're like, stay back here. Like, and then they would just chase him and they would look at us and they were like, he just fell over. And I was like, yeah, he'll get up, you know, but that beautiful guard, that's the Holy Spirit. He kind of walks with us and he's like, ah, that's a little bit scary over there. Let's just keep you over here. Right. And you guard, he guards us. He's walking with us and he's like, until you can learn that this edge has a fall like it's kind of a far thing to fall off of. I'm going to keep you over here and I'm going to walk with you, but you need to listen to me. I was training Elijah and all of my other kids through my voice. I didn't run with them with guards because they needed to learn how to hear my voice and obey, right? Because how many know that a toddler can be really fast? And so I needed to be able to say stop and to know that he would hear me and respond, Right? And so I trained him with my voice. That's how the Holy Spirit is with us. He trains us with his voice. He's always there and he's always talking to us. And he's giving us guards, but his guards are with his mouth. And it's with the word of God. Right? He has, he has put some boundaries in place, not because he's mean, but because he adores us. And he doesn't want us to fall off the cliff and get hurt. He doesn't want us to have to walk around with the guilt of getting angry and throwing a stick at our sister's head and hurting her, right? He doesn't want us to have to live like that. And so he gives us the word of God, which are boundaries, right? Because he loves us enough that he says, hey, I'm going to not only indwell you, I'm also going to give you something to read and to memorize and to learn and to grow with. And I'm going to guide you with my mouth. And I'm going, to, I'm going to surround you with people who love you, who are going to also be a guard like what they were in, second, in Corinthians, where they begin to come around and they go, oh, we didn't realize we need to do a justice. And they made an adjustment, right, as a church, because the church was willing to, to work with God, right? He's given us everything we need for life and godliness. Our one responsibility is in humility to pick up the key that he's given us and to step into the door through repentance, right? I want you to understand that God is for you. He's not a mean God. He's not unreasonable. He's not hard to please. He doesn't demand perfection from you. He doesn't, or he has good motives toward you. He is kind toward you. He is patient with you. He is understanding toward you. And his desire for your repentance isn't because he's angry or mean. It's because he loves you so much that he wants you to have the freedom of a shame-free, guilt-free life. And it's possible only through the door of repentance. Okay? So Jesus, we just, yeah. God, for any of us who have been afraid of you because we're afraid of your wrath, 
God, would you show me the, show us the truths of your goodness and your kindness and your gentleness with us and your patience over us? Would you begin to break the lies that you are harsh, a harsh disciplinarian, ready to just smack us every time we do something wrong or even when we don't know that we're going to, if we're thinking about doing something wrong. God, instead to say, no, you're with us and you're guiding us, Jesus. And God, through your grace, I just ask that you would, yeah, increase our humility, God. Let us go lower with you. Let us just, yeah, be so incredibly dependent on you and your voice that we don't know how to function without you. God, that's my goal. My goal is to be so incredibly dependent upon you that I don't know how to function without your voice. God, we thank you that you're gracious with us as, to- as we toddle through life. Show us how to walk through repentance, God, in a way that honors you. In a way that, yeah, doesn't, just thinking about that, that scripture or the, the definition where it says that where we, we literally recognize that we have dishonored God because of our choices, God. We don't want to do that. That breaks our hearts. Would you, would you even begin to rip off the calluses that we've built up of justification for our sin in places where we have hardened our heart against our sin so we can continue to do it? Jesus, would you Would you break off those calluses and make us tender before you, God? We don't want hearts of stone. We want hearts that are soft and are fully dependent and, yeah, dependent upon you, God. We thank you that as we walk through that door that you come running and you run us over with your abundance of love and your kindness and your joy over us, God. And then you become Emmanuel, God, with us. You never leave us from that moment on, God. God, we thank you for the gift of repentance, that it's this beautiful thing that you've given it to us so that we can walk shame-free and guilt-free before you, God. Would you help us to be good stewards of that gift and to use it every day? Jesus' name. Amen. Thank you for listening to this week's podcast. If you would like to contact us or would like more information about our church or additional podcasts or resources, please visit us online at harvestwarrensburg.com. We hope to see you soon.